I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome, one and all, to episode 259 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and we are back after being sick, after everyone in my fucking household being sick. Um, Had the wife and kids come down with COVID, and I have yet to shake the damn after effects or side effects or whatever of the uh, booster. Uh, vaccination. So, uh, riding a, a nice little migraine today seems to be happening every other day, which is a whole lot of fun to deal with. But anyway, I'm here with you guys. Um, I wanted to get this episode out there because it was so much fun to record with my patrons. This is our discussion of the top 10 uh, live albums of all time. And for those that are new to the show, What I do is I have my patrons submit their top 10 whatever. In this case, live albums. Number 10 gets 10 points. No, excuse me. Number one gets 10 points. Number two gets nine points. Number three gets eight, all the way down to 10, which gets one point. In total, over 90 albums were voted on. And I do a pre-show on Fireside every Fridays. And I usually go over the new releases and music news. And what I did instead for the last episode was I counted down all of um, all of the albums that were voted on going up to number, I think it was 93 through 16, if I'm not mistaken. So we did the top 15. We talked about the top five and then we did the um, the top 10 during the show with the patrons. I did 15 through 11 real quickly and then. We all really talked about the top 10. It's always fun to catch up with my patrons. It's a very awesome, troll-free environment. Um, I can't say enough to praise all the people that are in the group because it is a lot of fun talking to them pretty much on a daily basis. We have a tight-knit group of people. If you're into music, if you love discussing music, if by any chance you're on Mark Striegel's Patreon, uh, come on over. And if you don't like what you hear for the first month, I will refund you your money. I do want to send a shout out to my patrons real quick. Uh, let's go from oldest to newest. We have Steve Hoker, Jeremy Weltman, who we will hear at the five minute mark with his patrons pick. We have Mike Jones. We have Brad Dahl from Yarg Metal. We have. The Metal Dentist, Gabriel Ruiz. We have Chris Vaglio from the Chris and Amanda Show. We have Jose in Connecticut. We have Jerry from Long Island. We have Metal Dan, who is joining us on today's show for the first time. It was awesome to finally put a, a face to the voice, per se. Actually hear him as well. Uh, he's, he's, he's on uh, Patreon. He's, he's usually on Trivia Tuesday as well. So thank you, Dan, for being on this episode. Uh, We have Johan up in Sweden. We have uh, Ed the Shred Ferguson in Kentucky, if I'm not mistaken. We have Anthony Mackey, who shared a lot of cool music that uh, are links to 
a lot of different cool music that he's done over the years on Patreon. Uh, glad to have him aboard. Uh, we have Steven Saylor, and we have my brother Art, who uh, recently joined us. Um, so yeah, next month, which is actually this month, February at this point, the discussion will be concerning the band Rush. If you're a fan of Rush and you want to get in on the conversation, become a Patreon. Become a patron. You can do so for as little as two bucks a month. And that show will be taking place on February 18th. So two weeks from the day that I am recording this. Uh, again, if, you're, if you don't like what you hear after a fir the first month, I will, do, I will do you solid and refund you your money. So take a chance on us. Here's Jeremy Weltman with Patrons Club. Hello there, another Patrons pick, and what a week it's been. We're still in January, don't forget, and yet this week there was um, so many really, really good albums that I really enjoyed. I hope you're going to check them out as well. They're all listed on Victor's website. There were 25 albums, plus The Ferryman, which he reviewed himself. There were two EPs, which also included new music by Ghost, which was recommended by almost all of the patrons, I think. Uh, there were five reissues, one from Killswitch Engage, from Paradise Lost, from Creator, from Lionheart and Eccentrics. Creator also had a live album out, and there was one compilation too this, this week. A real bumper week. There were some good albums uh, by Set Your Sales, uh, Varsity, with uh, some good songs on uh, that were called Closer and Paranoid, but obviously not that paranoid that you're um, thinking of straight away. There was Space Parasites, uh, Nocturna, um, Symphonic Metal. That was very nice um, sort of symphonic stuff. There was some great 80s-influenced melodic hard rock from Edge of Forever. Also on Frontiers, there was Candia with Quaternary and Giant with Shifting Time. There's some great laid-back Stone-style music this, this week from Diamond Dogs. There was some uh, quite fun melodic punk from the Dolly Rots. I like that one too. Uh, Tokyo Blade are back with Fury. That was a really good album, very well worth checking out. And before we even get to Patron's Pick, there was the new Battle Beast album that was called Circus of Doom. That was really good. I have never been really much of a Battle Beast fan in the past. I've not really checked out all of their albums, to be honest, but I really, really enjoyed that one. It was fun. It was up-tempo, and I've seen some good reviews of it elsewhere, and I certainly re highly re recommend that one. This week's patron's pick is um, probably a little bit of a one that will maybe shock Victor again because he may not be expecting it, but I've chosen Age of Apocalypse with Grim Wisdom. This is the New York outfit that uh, really continued to define metal boundaries with their sort of melodic metal hardcore. Again, I'm not a band I've really sort of followed much in the past, but I very much enjoyed this album. It was great stuff. I listened to the title track, the, the speed-altering Grim Wisdom. I listened, Well, I listened to all of it, of course, but, but these are the ones I, I liked. I liked uh, Fury. Uh, I liked the sort of thoughtful intro of Memento, which went into Pain of Creation. Really, I liked all of the songs with 10 of them in all. all those 27 and a half minutes of pure joy. 
and really what what isn't there to like on the album. In fact, it's so good that Victor actually listed it twice, obviously by mistake, on his website. But no, it was no mistake, Victor, because it is this week's patron's pick. It's Age of Apocalypse. Mr. Weltman there with the surprise pick once again. <laughs> I always love when he does that. Uh, I want to thank Jeremy for putting that together. Obviously, it says January, but because of everything that went on, I'm using it now. So hopefully we will have, or no, I am positive we will have a new patron's pick shortly from Jeremy. And once again, if you want to get involved in Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Mars Attacks podcast. Uh, Some of the perks include merchandise. Um, You get to ask questions before others do for interviews. You get a bunch of different podcast content, video content, album of the week video as well. Uh, there's a lot of different things that uh, that I'm doing there to try to get people involved. And also these discussions. If you're a patron, you can get involved in these types of album discussions, list discussions, year discussions, so on and so forth. And I take all of your suggestions under consideration, which is what I did with this here was suggested by Jerry from Long Island, and I think it was a great discussion. Hope you guys enjoy it. And here we go. This is my top live albums of all time discussion with my patrons. Welcome, everyone, to the... January 21st edition of the Signals from Mars live stream. The house is packed. This is the largest group of people that we've ever had uh, here. Nine in total, including myself. Uh, so going around the uh, the clock here, we have... Uh, this, is, uh, this is almost like Hollywood Squares here uh, with everyone lining up. So we have, uh, Steve Hoker in the top left, uh, here. We have Jose in Connecticut. We have metal Dan. We have Jerry from long Island. We have Dr. Poison, Brad Dahl bottom corner there. We have Johan in Sweden. We have, uh, racer X, uh, uh, my older brother there, uh, to the left on top. And, uh, we have Jeremy Weltman in the center here. Uh, so um, we have a bunch of uh, first timers joining us. Thank you, all of you people, for joining us tonight for this discussion of uh, top live albums. Uh, who just bounced out there? Was Somebody it? just looking for the middle square. Yeah, yeah. it was Jerry. Jerry just booted uh, Jeremy out of the middle square. There you go. He's got the, the coveted position. Who was who was who always in, in the Stevens. Shadow Stevens, yeah, but uh, was that Milton Burl was the uh, the old one? No, that used to Paul Lynn. Paul Lynn, there you go. Paul Lynn. Oh, you had another uh, Charles Nelson Riley was another hum humdinger. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so 
on the uh, pre-show on Fireside, we counted down the um, the the first uh, oh uh, ninety threes through sixteen albums that were uh, voted on. It was a diverse group of albums that you guys chose, and for those people that are joining us, uh, either watching this via the chat or watching the replay or listening to this by chance the mm-hmm. podcast version. Uh, this is based on what people submitted as their top 10 live albums. And if an album came in number one, it received 10 points. Number two received nine, three, eight, so on and so forth, all the way down to 10, which received one point. And we're going to see that um, this, this is a definitive list from here up. Um, there are some albums where it wasn't even close. There are others where it was. And as Jeremy pointed out in the pre-show, there's probably going to be more albums that we expect, um, in this part of the list. So, and, and actually during that countdown, we caught a, uh, an album that should have been in the top 15 that wasn't. So being that I have this loaded. Queensryche's live crime was pushed out of the top 15 in the last hour, actually. So, um, let's see here. So, let's kick it off here. At number 15, it is Rush with All the World's a Stage. Mm-hmm. Good one. Mm-hmm. Johan, surprised to see that? No, no. It's a well-positioned place for the album. Yes, yes. There we go, Jerry. See, that's why Jerry needs to be in the middle. He's He's got all the material there. So, um, let's see. At... Uh, yeah, Jerry was also showing us his beer before, and I think nobody paid attention. Okay. <laughs> there we go. He's got his Day of the Dead Trooper. He's got his Fear of the Dark Trooper. Ooh, nice. Right. And he was showing us before off air, he was showing us, uh, oh, there you go. Metal Dan has got some Trooper stuff going, too. Uh, Jerry with the uh, Fear of the Dark uh, tin, I believe. And his pint glass. That's awesome. It's wow. um, ready I, to rock and roll. That, that's a lot more on the roll. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, I think your mic's out because we couldn't hear what you were saying. Santa dropped it off. There you go. He, nice. He, well, obviously, nice. you missed this year, so. <laughs> um. See, I'm never prepared. But I have known it it was going to be a trooper party. I would have had my bottle ready as well. Uh, Coincidentally, at number 14, Iron Maiden with Rock and Rio. Uh This is uh, an album for me that I've listened to quite a bit because I saw them on that tour with Queensryche and, and Halford opening up. Although I didn't see them in Brazil, I did see them at uh, Montage Mountain in Scranton, Pennsylvania. 
So um, this is a really good live album. I remember when this came out, Steve Harris saying that it was much better than their previous live albums because they played everything to tempo, Um, which I could argue that, you know, if you listen to any of their other releases, they feel live, even though maybe they're they're not to tempos how they were originally recorded, but they're still uh, good albums. So uh, any surprises so far with the Rush and the Rock and Rio? Anyone want to comment on the Rock and Rio? I I wrote you. uh, Hold on. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jerry. I caught the same show in St. Louis, Missouri. Awesome. Jose, go ahead. No, I told you when I submit this one, uh, it's on my running list, so... In the last few miles of the marathon, cranking run to the hills really helped. <laughs> there you go. Cool. Adding a uh, sign of the cross. That's awesome with Bruce yeah. doing that because it the sounds Klansman. much better with him doing the vocals. Yeah. Yeah. That and Klansman. It's, it's, that's why I think it's a shame that Priest has, hasn't done that with the Ripper years where they do have good songs when Ripper was in the band, but it's what, that's what happens when uh, one of the members' wives is the manager of the band. So uh, they're, they're focusing on Christmas albums and uh, a $90 T-shirt. So um, it's, a, it's a good pick. I, I'm, I think that's an excellent. I don't understand the rush. I listen to that, and it's just a best of. I like Maiden, you hear it, that sounds live. Rush is just, they sound the same. So, but to each his own. There you go. Cool. <clears throat> Next up uh, at 13, let me find the cover here. It is Queen with Live Killers. <clears throat> and uh, Dan and I had this conversation about how there could be a greatest. Uh, there could be a list of greatest Queen albums because they've released a bunch of them, uh, and a lot of them are really good. Um, I've listened to Killers quite a lot. I've listened to Live Magic quite a lot as well. Um, and it's funny because uh, Brad, I think uh, you know the guys from DC Four. Uh, you've interviewed oh, yeah. them, if I'm not mistaken. So. Yeah. Um, I believe it wasn't Jeff Duncan. I think it was his brother, Matt. Jeff is also an armored saint. Um, When they released a a live um, box set, the single was the fast version of We Will Rock You. And Matt had posted saying, I don't know why they've remixed this song this way. They're not going to get any more fans out of this. And I'm thinking, seriously? Like, you don't know that they've been playing this song like this since 75. Like it's on, it's on this fucking live album, you know? So it, it kills me when people say, especially a musician who's known says, uh, Oh, I'm a huge fan, but they're so it's such a big fan that they didn't even know that they were playing the song that way. I mean, it, it kills me. Yeah. Well, he's a bass player. takes one to know one right there brad that's true man actually 
Brad Johan is laughing as well. Johan's a bass player also. So I know that's why that's why we're brothers. <laughs> Metal Dan is pointing to his bass as well. So all right. Awesome. What do you got over there? It's in the case. Yeah, that's a BC oh. Rich. Yeah, I okay. saw DC4. Those are good guys. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So uh, anyone want to uh speak on uh live killers uh jeremy yeah yeah i mean that was my number one actually although i could have picked any of my top 10 as number one and and the reason is um it was a really important album for me growing up uh it's one of their earliest live albums i I think it might even be the earliest album that they released late 70s um and um brian may is just amazing on it i mean if you want to hear brian may as a rock metal guitarist that is the album because he's he's awesome. Um, I mean, the whole band was brilliant at that time, and you know, obviously they they morphed into a, a totally different outfit later on. But uh, they were a proper rock band at the time, and and that that album proves it. I think. Yeah, it's Brian that I think does thirty nine live does the vocals. Just mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so what you're saying is you don't like them with Adam Lambert now? You're not saying that they're rock gods <laughs> now? Uh, per- personally, post uh, F- Freddie dying, they haven't done one thing that I've liked. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like what they did with Paul Rogers, and I, I don't know. I, I, I don't get it. And they were a huge band for me at one point in time, but it just got to the point where I bailed oh. I just didn't yeah. like it. He's a he's a big act to follow, isn't he, Freddie? I mean, it's difficult to to follow in his shoes. But he, but even that, look at the album they released after Innuendo, Made in Heaven. It was just pieces of songs that Freddie didn't want to have released, and the rest of the band just went on and released it anyway. Which mm. is why John Deacon kind of exited the picture. He saw that Ryan May and Roger Taylor, were, you know, was going to be a power play the whole time. So. Anyway, let's get back to the music. <laughs> uh, the next album, which uh, I remember as a kid coming to Spain and in all the magazines, they said that this was the ultimate live album. And I listened to it for the first time here in Spain, but uh, it is probably Eddie Trunk's favorite live album. Mm-hmm. UFOs, Strangers in the Night. What number did that come in as? Came in at number 12. Ooh. So Jeremy has it. Again, UFO, a band that was much bigger in the UK than than they were in the US. Although, you know, diehard rock fans from the 70s obviously knew who UFO was. Um, And actually recorded in the US as well. um, Yeah, yeah, because the intro, he says... um, Hello, Chicago, mm. uh, epic recording artist, UFO, mm. before Natural Thing kicks in. Yeah, there's only two words you've got to say about that album. It's Michael Schenker. Yeah, well, I mean, the the, the version of um, Rock Bottom on that, with the extended solo and with the extended intro and everything, I mean, that's... That's that's beyond ridiculous. And uh, and and as a kid, before I messed my ankle up snowboarding, um, I learned how to play the final song is um, Let It Roll 
I learned how to play that with uh, with one foot, wow. where where Andy Parker's playing it with two feet. Um, <laughs> post snowboard accident, no longer possible. But uh, <laughs> it was fun to say that I used to be able to do that. Um, any other fans of this UFO album, Jerry? You just showed it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, uh, speaking to John Bush recently, he talked about the fact that uh, Joey Vera gifted him a box set version that they released, which apparently is the five separate shows that they used to actually make Strangers in the Night. Um, my brother had the uh, question the other day. He goes, well, are we, are, do they have to be real live albums? And I mentioned this on the pre-show. If if we go by real live albums, we would have had like five albums to choose from. We wouldn't have gotten past like <laughs> three, mm. four albums. They're all all worked on. So um, even uh, well, the reason that it came up was that I had asked John Bush if Armored Saints' latest live album, how live it actually was, and he goes on to say, he says, "Well, no live album is really live." You know, we recorded three shows. We the bulk of it is from New York, but there is one song that's from St. Louis because it just sounded better. Hmm. So they is must that have had, uh... go ahead. Like something fairly new, or if you go back to older albums from the the seventies or maybe even the sixties with the limited technology now, though you start finding more true live albums. Uh, there, none of the albums that I have mentioned so far are mm-hmm. 100% live. There are, there, you could maybe pinpoint ACDC's ACDC Live, which came out in 1990. That's completely mm-hmm. live because you can hear Angus Young break a string on a song. Uh, the Metallica box set, which I mentioned earlier, uh, Live Shit Binge and Purge. That's completely live, which is no surprise because if you know what Metallica has done, they have a, a site called LiveMetallica.com, which two, three days after a show goes down, they release the shows warts and all. They they don't edit them at all. So uh, outside of that, most every other band, if they have the money, they polish stuff up um, because they want it to sound as good as possible. Is that a, Vi- a young Viking we're seeing there on the screen? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I just want to know if he likes a man of Marth. Oh, yeah, he does. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> He's a good man. Does then. he like Rush? Yeah, he actually good. does. Good, good. You taught him well. You raised him well. Yeah. See, Jerry, and he's a hockey player as well, so... Yeah, right on. Yes. <laughs> if they like Thomas Sandstrom, then then they're my heroes. Oh, of course we do. <laughs> All Sweden do. <laughs> a Rangers Thomas Sandstrom, not 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 a Flyers, not a Detroit Red Wing, the original. Yeah, but he he won the cup with Detroit. So well, uh, listen, uh, we could win the cup to save our life, so. Hey, I like Jason Arnott. There you go. Anyway, let's keep it going here at 11. Another one that I'm 
sure some of you people will be surprised did not make the top 10. Thin Lizzy, Live and Dangerous. Another album that high on people's lists. There we go. Jeremy holding it up. Um, Again, high on people's lists. It has always been known for um, just the power, the energy that this has, and it showcases what Phil Linneau was all about. Um, So definitely a very important live album. Anyone want to speak on this one? Yeah, it was a a really important album when I was growing up. Um, I think all of my friends had a copy of it. Um, but Thin Lizzy were, you know, they're a huge band in the UK at that time. And this really caught them live, you know, at the height of the game, really. I mean, if you look down the, the track listings, you know, um, Emerald was an amazing song on that album. Uh, Cowboy song, you know, about uh, Warriors. There's, it just goes on and on. It's just a really fantastic album. Brad, I'm surprised you don't have a story about seeing... Um... Uh, Thin Lizzy in a broom closet in Santa Clarita somewhere or something like that. You know, I I never did see Thin Lizzy, so um, uh, yeah, I know it's pretty weird, isn't it? Turn 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 in your badge now. Yeah, I, I've seen Black Star Riders a few times. Does that count for something? Well, my closest no. to seeing them was supposedly seeing the or was supposed to see the Sykes. Uh, fronted version of the band mm. but uh for whatever reason they didn't show up and instead we got lizzie borden so huh. how was lizzie well far for the course lizzie borden which you would expect lizzie borden uh you know at the time doing his best impersonation of uh or maybe it's kid rock doing his impersonation of lizzie borden wearing the flag and you know the uh bikini clad uh dancers around him and all that stuff so you know, I saw them on the Thunder and Lightning tour. They were great. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, where did you see that show? In Liverpool, 1983. Wow. It was February the 13th, 1983. And the only reason I remember the date is it was my mate's 16th birthday. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Very nice. <clears throat> that was impressive. Yeah. Good. It was cool. I was about six rows from the front as well, so I was quite close to Phil, right in the middle. Nice. Oh, wow. Right. Awesome. Very wow. nice. <laughs> Steve, uh, I know that you have us blacked out here. You're redacted on screen. I hope that you're still hanging out there. I know. I don't know what's going on. Well, I, I, learned, this, I learned this weekend that with the camera, the camera goes to default. Mm-hmm. So if you switch it to front or back, It'll actually, um, it should change from a black screen to something else. Hopefully I don't lose everybody. It should. That's the operative word. <laughs> so, so did Murderous Metal Show live make your list? Lizzie Borden? It did not. No, Lizzie It's very Borden. live. Is it? My opinion. It's old. It's, uh. It's old school. What, 84? Okay. Five-ish, yeah. Yeah, we had, like I said, 93 albums that people voted on. But uh, no Lizzie Borden, actually. And um, 
What I'll do here is I'll, I'll give you guys 20 through 11, and then we'll hop on into uh, the top 10. So the, the first few we did on the pre-show, uh, at 20 is Slaughter with Stick It Live. At 19 is Marillion with Real to Real. 18, Blue Oyster Cult with On Your Feet or Your Knees. 17, ACDC Bonfire. 16, Operation Live Crime by Queensryche. 15, All the World's a Stage by Rush. 14, Iron Maiden, Rock and Rio. 13, Queen Killers. 12, UFO with Strangers in the Night. And 11, Thin Lizzy with Live and Dangerous. So, number 10 is before seeing and or hearing this album, I believe MTV or VH1 used to play it all the time. At 10, the song remains the same. No way. Red- <laughs> What's up wrong with you guys? <laughs> I didn't know for that, Jeremy. It wasn't me. Jeremy, there's no way that's number 10. <laughs> Jeremy, that's number one. Come on, you're in England. Help me out, brother. It's um well, it's a fantastic album. You got you are right. You are right. I, I, I I'm I'm actually ashamed to say I didn't put it in my top ten. But I would I would have done. I would have done. What what happened with the song remains the same, and we'll see this with a bunch of other albums where people may say, why didn't this album make it or why did that album make it some of these bands released a bunch of different live albums so led zeppelin for example got a bunch of votes for how the west was won what i mentioned on the uh on the pre-show that we did if we would have um narrowed it down and maybe done like a pre-vote so that we narrowed down to one live album per band the song remains the same would have probably gone higher because more people would have voted for it. That the with a lot of <laughs> You mean you don't like the version that the uh Plant and Page did with the uh with the whole uh orchestra and everything behind them? Jerry might have cut out there. All right. So let's see. Number nine. There you go. Jerry's showing <laughs> us the song remains the same again. It, but at number nine, we have someone that Brad Dahl did see in a broom closet. Judas Priest. Yes. Unleashed in the wow. East. Johan, you distinctly said yes. Give us, uh, give us your take on Unleashed in the East. Oh, I mean, it's just uh, for me growing up, it's a classic U.S. Priest live album. So um, now we all know that it's uh, it's 
not pre-recorded, but it's uh, you know what I mean. But uh, yeah. uh, um, for me, it's uh, the versions of Diamonds and Rust and uh, the other songs are for me classics. And seeing that album in the you know when you flip through those records. Just a classic. I love that album. Uh, and for me, it's the top 10. Absolutely. Mm, Thank excellent. you. Yeah, I agree. Brad, any, anything you want to add? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think that's actually quite a live album other than the vocals. Uh, I think Rob um, was having a bad night uh, on the night they recorded that. And so he went in and fixed a lot of that stuff. But I think that musically, the guitars, bass, drums are, are all pretty, pretty much live. Uh, only negative thing I can say about that is I really didn't like the effects on the guitars. I, I you know, they use those face shifters on there that kind of softened the crunchiness of, of a, you know, the, the metal guitar. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's fantastic. Those uh, Johannes, right. Those versions of those songs, the, those are, perfect i mean it's it's what you want to hear victim of changes i mean that's the best version there is a victim of changes and i give a lot of credit to les binks i mean i was lucky enough to see him twice with les and uh man he that that dude could play and his drum sound live was fantastic uh just though i guess there was something about not having the bottom heads on there and uh the way they were mic'd but the the toms just oh they sounded so good um Great album. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. And every time uh, during, well, those first two shows I saw, you know, Stain Class and Hellbent for Leather Tour, uh, I mean, Rob was unbelievable. I mean, he didn't miss a thing. I, he was just like the best singer you'd ever heard live. So I, I don't fault him for fixing anything on that album. It's not like he could not do that stuff live because he did. Yeah, no teleprompters. So he was... Yeah, he was young and a lot of cocaine, and and I think that helps your memory. I, I most singers that I've worked with, they sing better when they're on cocaine. I don't. Know. There you go, um, Dan. Go ahead. So, I just uh, the screaming for vengeance has the live from the US Festival, which is a lot of fun, which I recently checked out. And there's also I don't think they have it all put together, but there's a cut of Devil's Child. I think it's from Dallas. Um, it's after Unleashed. But just to hear Rob do Devil's Child back then, then you hear Rob do it recently on the, one of their newer lives, you can right. tell that he is not the same Rob anymore. Yeah. I mean, that old version of that live is just killer and angry and fast. Yeah. Yeah, there was... Um, I actually got to watch the uh, 82 DVD that they put out, like maybe... 10 years ago and they do devil's child and it's just ridiculous seeing him just commanding the stage going back and forth just singing his absolute head off and again i say this time after time thank you ozzy osbourne for ruining that for us and getting into rob halford's mind and telling him to use a fucking teleprompter so now he's glued to those damn things and doesn't move around but uh just seeing him back then, you know, even the um, Priest Live show, which I know was was touched up quite a bit. Um, just seeing them 
then was was ridiculous. Now, I mean, Jeremy saw them recently. It's like having uh, five Ian Hills on stage. So it's, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Wow, um, another bass player getting roasted. Well, but Ian Hill was the guy that pioneered that, you know, and now we've we kind of gone down where before Glenn and, and KK moved around quite a bit on stage. Richie's kind of in his spot, but Andy doesn't move at all. Mm. Rob doesn't move at all now. He just does the metal gods dance and, and that's about it. Go ahead, Dan. Ian Hill hand-delivered a guitar, his bass guitar pick, to my wife because she was screaming with him in the front row. He walked and had it and palmed it right in there. Ian Hill, pro is all that? my respect. What's that? That's fantastic. Yeah, it was amazing. That's awesome. Well, I told, I told the story about when I saw him at the uh, Starwood on the Hellbent for Leather tour, and Ian actually started to move, and he stepped on his cord and unplugged his bass. It was the funniest thing ever. I mean, he, he, and he, he tried to act like there was something wrong with his bass. So he walked behind his amp and he came back with a Gibson EB three, which I've never seen him play a Gibson wow. one, one time. And, and of course me being, you know, that was the bass I had starting out. I was just like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Of course he never moved again after that. <laughs> See karma. He, that one show that you got to witness, you got to witness He's starting the end to Ian Hill moving around on stage. There you go. Flash of brilliance. <laughs> Johan, you had raised your hand before. Did you want to uh, add something? Oh, okay. No problem. <laughs> um, Johan may want to add something now. So at number eight, Rush, exit. Stage left. Mm. Jerry holds the album mm. up. Johan being the, um, mm. the resident uh, president of the Rush Club here on Signals from Mars, wearing the Rush shirt tonight. He's thinking about his response. Number eight, Johan. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Well, Rush is... Rush should probably hold uh, the first four or five first places, but uh, uh, that one is, you know, as I said in the in the Patreon chat, I'm a, a little bit later Rush fan, so uh, I, I I really want to hear what you guys uh, think about that record before I react. That's easy okay. for me to uh, speak <laughs> also. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that the Rush album, similar to what I said about the Led Zeppelin, because All Worlds of Stage was 15, then Rock and Rio was a little down further, was at 42. So had everyone have voted for one Rush album, it probably would have made it up a little higher. At the same time, when you guys hear what the top few albums are, I don't think it's going to be a surprise because they're all monumental live albums, just like this Rush album, similar to what Jeremy said before. Uh, any one of these could be number one because they're so popular, I think. Um, Jerry, you put the album up. Uh, what's your opinion on it? 
It's tremendous. Red Bot. Great. We think the thing with Rush, too, is that they they are so exact in their live shows. I mean, I, I believe, I remember watching an interview one time and uh, they asked Getty Lee about, well, uh, they said, uh, <clears throat> magnificent show. And he said, no, we had, I don't know how many mistakes on stage. So, I mean, it, it's they, they're always out to play as close to studio as as possible. So that's really hard to do. Really, really hard to do. I mean, I'm sure a lot of other bands try and do the same, but there's a little more freedom in how and when they're uh, they're playing. There's a lot more ad lib, um, but just my take on it. Go ahead, Jose. Uh, your mic isn't working. No, Mike. Mike's too bad. Yeah, Rush is a, a fantastic live band, and I don't know. I I I picked uh, all the world's stage as my favorite live album of theirs, mm-hmm. and uh, the reason is it's just uh, it's just so real to me. It's like everything just you feel like you're there. Uh, I the other live albums maybe are just a little bit too pretty. I don't know. I mean, they're they're really good. I'm not saying it's a, as a negative thing. I'm just saying that uh, I don't know that all the world's a stage just made that band like these guys are real. Um, the the other thing too that a lot of people take for granted is that they're a three piece where. I mean, everyone who's a fan of the band obviously knows that Getty plays both keyboards and bass and sometimes does it at the same time. And it's funny because oh, I interviewed yeah, and sings. I interviewed somebody who's a very proficient bass player here in Spain who was telling me how his band is a three piece. They wanted him to do similar. And he was telling me that he couldn't play the keyboard parts with his feet. And I said, he's not playing the keyboard parts with his feet. He's playing the bass with his feet. He's playing the keyboard with his hands, if you notice. The bass parts are what he's doing with his feet. So that's a testament to, you know, how how great a musician he is. And just the band in general, that all the different nuances and different things that they do, they were they were live all the time. So Jose, let's see if your mic's working now. Yeah, hopefully, and and it's been glitching on my end, so I apologize. So I, I was going to echo what uh, Arturo said, that uh, I saw an interview, I forget what um, concert uh, tour it was, but they Rush would... Uh... Just faded out. Oh, no, he went sideways. All right, Arturo, you want to jump in there and fill in? Yeah, and it, it, it must be Sikorsky's helicopters flying over his house, there <laughs> messing up the G five or something. There you go. <laughs> yeah, no, and 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 actually, they were a three piece band on stage. However, there were a lot more people playing air keyboards, air drums, 
air guitars. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was uh, the, the front few rows uh, were quite the quite the spectacle, which is uh, which is you know pretty neat all onto itself. It's 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 a show. So yeah, how can you how can you hate Rush? You know, it's like being angry at your grandfather. <laughs> yeah. Ask ask Nikki Six who who tries to uh, you know shit on them every 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 chance he gets. But uh, you know, hey, what Nikki? Yeah, yeah. Nikki needs to, needs to. No wait, did their live album didn't make our top uh, list at all. Well, <laughs> no one voted for uh, Vince Neil yeah. seconds at a time. You know, they talk about what, the did, death. what did Nikki Six say? Oh, he always says how boring and how he didn't understand them and how, uh, you know, stuff, stuff like that. No. But I mean, it's it's pure. You have to have an IQ over seventy to get Rush. Yeah. Well, well, and and not only that, you know, you have to remember Nikki Six is the only functional heroin addict who who kept a diary for 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 a year, you know, of of absolutely everything he was doing. So whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um. So he well, I think Nikki Six was was foreshadowing the fact that uh, he wasn't going to make this list, and that's why he's jealous. Mm. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry for Mick Mars. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure Mick Mars is sorry for Mick Mars as well. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, Jerry, I just got a notification that the uh, Hurricanes and Rangers are starting up in five minutes. Not sure if you want to watch that or not. So just. <laughs> You're going to Boston tomorrow? Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right, Johan, or does anyone else want to talk about exit stage left before we throw it back to Johan? All right, Johan, go ahead. What, what, what else do you want to say about this album? Anything? Yeah. Uh... Actually, no. I, I, yes, but it's hard to me to speak from my heart because uh, of the language. So I, I rather uh, react to your uh, opinion, if that's okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Johan, your, your love for Rush is palpable. You don't even have to say a word. <laughs> no, we know how you feel. Yeah. So, and I have so much respect for that, dude. So well, 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 I'll translate. I'll translate the Swedish uh, yeah. to English. What what he's trying to say, and this is because I've caught uh, several of Manamarth uh, concerts. He, what he's saying is he's raising his horn to uh, the rush. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, if if I you understand. want, Yo Johan, if you want, give us an explanation in Swedish. What would that sound like? Oh, det är enkelt. Rush är ju liksom, det, det är så, det är ett band som är så otroligt stort och komplicerat. Och det är inte för alla. Så, att, så är det pojkar. That's it boys. <laughs> There you go. That'll take Victor a week to translate to put on a subtitle. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's see if uh, YouTube is smart enough and can do that. So... Hopefully it is. Album number seven. This album was 
huge. When anyone disputes how big this band was, yes, I'm raising my finger, my friend. Um, This is your second. This this is your second time, but keep going. I'm not keeping track, but all right. Um, When whenever the discussion comes up about how important certain bands are to hard rock and metal. This album is one of the albums that proved it to me in the 80s that this band, along with Judas Priest, who's already come out, and Iron Maiden, who's already come out, this band was quite possibly bigger than both bands because they were selling out arenas in the States while Iron Maiden wasn't doing that yet. The band is Scorpions Worldwide Live. When this album came out, and up until this day, You can walk into any rock bar in Spain and you will still hear Big City Nights, Bad Boys Running Wild, Still Loving You, and Rock You Like a Hurricane on any given night. And I remember as a kid when this came out, even bars that weren't rock bars were playing those very songs. So this album is number seven, and I I get why it, it's there. And that's why I was, Johan, I was saying no disrespect to Rush, but I think we're going to see that the albums that are here were just hugely popular albums um, when, when they came out and they, they still continue to, to be popular. I mean, the videos for some of those songs that I just mentioned were played to hell on MTV, the, the live videos, while they had studio videos for them as well. Um, who else wants to uh, discuss Worldwide Live? Anyone a fan of the album? I know more than one of you guys voted for it. It's the way Klaus says California. So I have German heritage, and uh, it's a very live album to me. It deserves mm-hmm. to be there. I, I own it. I, I listen to it many times. So it's it's good. Awesome. And I don't know if Jeremy went to go get the album all of a sudden, but we're, uh, we're checking. He has it. it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he has to have it. Yeah. Yeah. He re- they referenced, I guess it's recorded in San Diego. So it's very local. So they were, it was a huge album when it came out. Yeah, absolutely. When their songs came on Q on MTV, nobody, you didn't move. You stayed put, you know? <laughs> yeah ab- absolutely and, and i mean they knew how to uh feed their audience because you know it was it was concert footage it was babes it was you know they they knew how to- coming off coming off the airplane taking the the uh, uh hat off the police officer putting it on the the whole uh, 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 driving down the Audubon at, I guess, 200 kilometers an hour, which was a big deal back in the day. Yeah. The, the, the forks in the eye of the album cover, you know, the, they, they were, they were edgy and slightly on the sadomasochistic innuendos as far as their imagery. Oh yeah. Yeah, and and I can actually say that I got to see. I've told this story many times. I got to see the opposite. I got to see the police officer take the hats off of uh, off of Klaus and uh, and Matthias and everyone else going through customs. So I've gotten to see both sides of that uh, scenario. Oh, nice. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, I've, I always tell this story. We're sitting in Charles de Gaulle airport and I'm seeing this guy coming down the escalator. And I say to my, uh, my wife, I say, who's this clown all dressed up like that? The fuck's he think he's a member of the Scorpions or something? And then all of a sudden, I realize, oh, that's that actually is yeah, because he is. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's because it is. So uh, it was uh, it's funny. So, um, all right, number six, an album that was number one for a good portion of the week. I was actually exchanging messages with Ed Ferguson all week, and. Um, he copped to me that actually his favorite band is actually my brother's favorite band. Uh-oh. ACDC oh, yeah. and If yeah. You Want Blood. Again, a concert that, much like Song Remains the Same, I remember them playing this on TV. Um, MTV used to play this at night. VH1 played it for for a while as well when they got the rights to it. Obviously, you know, the big deal here um, or what makes it an even bigger deal is the fact that, you know, it's uh, it's Bon Scott. Um, It's one of the only, you know, really good, clear shows with him. Obviously, this was released while he was still alive. Um, I actually have the Blu-ray version, which uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we, we were actually uh, doing something with my kids and they said, Oh, can we watch a concert while we're doing this? Said, yeah, sure. So we, uh, we watched this, we watched, um, uh, if you want blood. So, um, Jerry, much to nobody's surprise has it. <laughs> um, who, who wants to, uh, discuss the album? Yeah. Was, I played um, this uh, earlier on my headphones and it's, it just sounds perfect. There's, there's nothing else to say. It's perfect. You go. Yeah. Jeremy, go ahead. Yeah. When I was a kid, the, um, this was probably the number one album that everyone would have said was their favorite live album. Uh, we all had it uh, as kids. Uh, we all headbanged to a whole lot of Rosie. I mean, that was the, the song that we played at parties. We all got on our knees and headbanged to it, and it was just amazing song. Um, I don't think I actually listened to the rest of the album for about a year after I bought it. I only ever played whole lot of Rosie. <laughs> it was amazing. Is is that uh, just? I'm trying to remember. Is that the one? Is that the one that was actually recorded in Glasgow? Um, I've got a feeling it was at Glasgow that they recorded it. Or at least um, I remember reading that this was the famous concert they ever did there, where the upper tier used to bounce, uh, so everybody would be in the in the circle on the upper upper seats, and the the whole auditorium would bounce when they were there, uh, and they were they were unsure why it never actually fell down and, and collapsed. Um, but it's just an amazing album. It's a, as you say, it's a it's a brilliant collection of, uh, of you know Bon Scott Bon Scott era. Yeah, recorded April 30th, 1978 at the Apollo Theater in Glasgow, Scotland. Yeah, there you go, Glasgow, yeah. Glasgow, excuse me. (laughs) 
Yeah. The, I mean, the Jack, the Jack is an amazing song as well. Is it? I think that was the first song I actually ever played along to on my guitar as well. I was just going to say, being the, being the blues guitarist, I'm sure that Jack <laughs> really uh, stood out to you. There you go. Yeah. Um, cool. Anyone else want to mention anything about uh, the album? Much like a whole lot of Rosie, I, I, a problem child was my was my go to song. I think I might have played that about eight hours straight before I <laughs> moved on to <laughs> anything else and perpetual loop. Um, yeah, so and I would do that to the people at work, and I really didn't care. I'd have it down low enough for myself, but <laughs> I was playing music for myself. But yeah, yeah. We we used to roll up our trousers to it as well. That was the <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, this was did, didn't you mention previously that uh, this ACDC is what you guys would put on when you guys would have the the get-togethers, and it was like the only uh, crossover band that uh, would work uh, to to dance with the, the girls or something like that. Yeah, was well, it was yeah, it was the album that we put on at parties in garages and when we were, when we were kids and. Yeah, it was just it was amazing. Yeah, we'd be we'd be on our knees with our trousers rolled up. We we grab tennis rackets. We were having a great time. You got the jack. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> well, he said there were girls there. You know, it's, it's, when Steve does say something, he nails it. There you go. <laughs> Number number even in darkness. Even in darkness. There you go. Number five is an album that uh, Jeremy was telling me all week was going to be number one. Uh, it is an album that the, both of us had on our list, and uh, I can say right away that this is the first thing that I ever listened to in my life when I was four. Thanks to my brother, Kiss Alive uh, too. So, um, all these years later, podcasting 2022, you can uh, blame my brother Art for this. Yeah. So, thanks to Kiss Alive too. That's that's the. Um, uh, I guess was was that my original vinyl? Yes, it is. Nice, nice. So, I guess that's kind of that's kind of the question. Why? Uh, I asked, you know, did it have to be true, true originals uh, versus, you know, was it true, true recording? And, and kind of that's kind of why I went with uh, a live one since it was the, the original. But, yeah, it was um, you had the you had the tattoos, which are very, very sought after back in back in the day, uh, showing up at school with the kiss tattoo. I'm sure they were lead lead tattoos back in the day, which were really awesome. Um, <laughs> you go with your mercury fillings. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, FDA approved. Yeah, but yeah, those. The, I don't know if, if you remember, Victor. A lot of times, like we would record it, put it onto a cassette, and that's what we would listen to um, in the morning while getting ready to 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 uh go to school wait for my friend Stefan to to come by and we'd we'd listen to 
whatever was queued up or already playing. And then we'd head, head out to school and, you know, we'd be talking about, uh, talking about kiss and yeah, it was fun times, fun times. Yeah, absolutely. For, for me, I mean, the evolution of kiss, I think is the name of the booklet that originally came with it. I mean, it is, it's here, but it's shredded to hell. I mean, the bottom of this album is, is being, the jacket is being held by scotch tape, which went on so, at some point in the 80s. I can't, I can't even begin to say how many times, I mean, every album we had, the little, the, the, the little collection that we had was, uh, yeah. I think as soon as we got home, you know, there, there, was, something, there was something on the turntable. Yeah. And our parents would our parents would get home and then the volume would be turned down, down, down from that. Well, we weren't at 11, but, you know, we were at seven, eight a lot of times. <laughs> that old, the old RCA turntable rocking the house. Yeah. So. Yeah. So this image right here at four years old is what you guys can blame for me doing this show all these at, at 48. <laughs> so. That was Victor's pose in the front of the house when he was playing air guitar and the cars would be driving by and, and he'd be playing, he'd be on his air guitar and people would be honking and, and just waving at him as they're driving by to go to Welch's, to Welch's store. Remember that? Yeah. Well, that was his first taste of fame. <laughs> Infamy. I don't know about fame. Infamy. Yeah, <laughs> they wouldn't do anything today as they could be accused of being pedophiles today. But, you know, there you go. Um, who else wants to talk about Alive 2? Jeremy, you had it on your list. Yeah, it was um, it's hugely important in the UK as well. It was um, probably my first introduction to Kiss. Uh, I think a friend of mine had the album and I bought it off him. I bought a secondhand copy of the vinyl. And I listened to that, and uh, obviously, it, it, Kiss with not just the music; it was it was the look and everything about Kiss yeah. that was very different. Um, but yeah, they were they were very big over in the UK at that time. I think they broke big during when that album came out, um, and it was a great introduction to uh, a lot of their songs. And also, I thought it was a, it was a lot better than Kiss Live One as well. I thought it sounded better. Uh that and for me, uh, the song selection to me is better on Alive Two than than Alive One. I mean, there are songs that I could interchange personally, like there are certain things that I could do without on Alive Two. Uh, Beth and Hard Luck Woman uh, being the, the main things, but I could sw- you know off of Alive, I don't like all the songs either. But this was definitely it. And that side four, which wasn't live, but it still had a lot of great stuff on it. You know, it it had uh, it, it really definitely cool. showed a progression in 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 the band's maturity, and by by that point, by that point, they were just taking off. You know, um, yeah. so and, and it's a shame because it, they were taking off, but it was also alive too. If you kind of think about it, was also the beginning of the end because although they did have ghost players on Destroyer and and on other albums. I mean, side four only has Ace Frehley on one song. Uh, it doesn't have Peter Chris on every song. So it was, you know, the sign of things to come. But um, yeah, still a, a hugely important album. Um, anyone else want to uh, speak to Alive 2 before we move on to album number four? Go ahead, Brad. 
Yeah, well, I was uh, lucky enough to have been at one of the shows that was recorded for that album. And okay. I, I can say that they were even better actually live than on album. They were so good at that at that time. And, you know, as we know now, the band was imploding at that time. Things were really kind of falling apart within the band. Uh, but live, they were just unbelievable. And the, the picture... Uh, of, of the gatefold, the inside of that, it doesn't do the real thing justice. It was just incredible. The stuff that blew up and the heat coming off the stage. I mean, yeah, exactly. That, yeah, it 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 was an. Un, I mean, the spectacle was one thing, but they were such a good live band at that point. I mean, the vocals were on point. Everything was good. Peter Chris could still play. Uh, Ace was just fantastic. Paul could sing. Uh, Gene was Gene, and it was yeah. They were they were they were at the peak musically. Even if the as a band they were kind of getting ready to fall apart. So great album. Yeah, definitely bombastic. I mean, it was and and that's what they are. They are a show. But aside from <clears throat> from all the, the the blood fires and smoke out of the guitars, I mean they they. They brought the music they threw down. So, yeah, it was. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, they got a lot of crap because of the makeup and the show and everything. And I, I'm here to tell you that, I mean, I saw them. I don't know how many times during the 70s. They those guys could all play and they could all sing. And they were really, really good live. Yeah, that's I think the misconception with Peter Chris as a player is that he was a monster then. I mean, he could play. He, he to me, Peter Chris in the seventies was as important as a John Bonham, as important as an Ian Pace, as important as a Neil Peart. I'm not saying that he was better, but he had his own style. He had a swing jazz style that he brought that no one else was was bringing to uh, to what they were doing, um, and that influenced a lot of people. Uh, I know a lot of uh, a lot of people that want to do revisionist history will tell you, oh no, they suck because their songs aren't as good, this and that. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point in time, there are very few other bands that influenced as many musicians as Kiss did for for everything that uh, that you guys are saying. And you know, m- much like you guys are mentioning, I still have people that I've spoken to about Kiss here and there from the UK that will instantly panned them oh it's just the image it's just the yeah. image no no they they were my generation's beatles i mean they they were more responsible for for people picking up musical instruments uh in my age group and those right behind me than any other band any other band oh. agreed all right so moving on to number four this was also something that was in a heavy rotation as a child. Oh, wow. It made it. Wow. Cheap trick live at Budokan, the original, because they've since done a Budokan two. They've done a Budokan, the whole show where they combine both. And much like all the other albums that we've discussed, this was re- major the majority of it was re-recorded in the studio, but I do think that the love that a lot of people have for a lot of these songs 
think a lot of people really don't care. I mean, the the version of I want you to want me off of this is the definitive version for most people. And I don't think that anybody sits there and says, yeah, I don't like it so much because they they dub the uh, the crowd screaming in behind them. For the most part, nobody gives a shit. I mean, for for a mm. point in time there, oh, my God, they they re-recorded this. They re-recorded that. OK, let's get back to listening to it now. You know, it was it was like a, a passing conversation at one point in time. But in the end, the, that version for a lot of people, the Budokan version had that emotional connection with people. And, and at the end of the day, that's what matters, <laughs> you know, at, at least in my opinion. So well, um, that album broke them. I mean, they really weren't that big until that album came out. Yeah. Yeah. This, this was, I'll always say we had the, we had a live two, we had destroyer, we had Budokan back in black Led Zeppelin four. Uh, Ted Nugent's uh, Scream Dream, and that was the constant rotation every day. So uh, Live at Budokan plays a huge part for me in my musical upbringing. So um, so I, I can throw this to my brother. What, what, what originally turned you on to uh, Cheap Trick and to want to get this album? At the drums, Mr. Bunny Carlo. And I could picture I could picture him with a cigarette button just going going at it, his arms just go going at the snare drum with this uh unpretentious uh, I'll say and I'm sure it wasn't, but crappy, crappy little drum set, and he was just rocking it. Uh Rick Nielsen was very um uh just seeing him with his whole guitar collection. He had that I don't know how many necks there there was like at least five next. I, I, I don't know how many. So his guitar collection was, was, was amazing. Um, what turned, uh, what turned me on to cheap trick was actually, uh, I think it was, I was in either fifth or sixth grade. I, and I went, it, this was in the summer, went down to recreation and, um, and uh, one of the girls down there that was uh, that was looking after us, or one of the chaperones, or whatever you want to call them, back in the day, uh, I guess they were either like freshmen or sophomores in, in in high school, and they were talking about, oh my God, we went to see, and, and it was Van Halen, and and Cheap Trick at at some point, and um, <laughs> and they said, oh, it was amazing, and and from that point on, I you know was looking out for. I wish back then we had what we have now with the ease of listening to music on, on um, like Apple music uh, because it was hard to come by and, and listen to different albums. But, you know, you start, you heard what people were saying and, you know, I just came across cheap trick just by coincidence and other people that had gone to a concert and saying, Oh, that was amazing. No, it was the same people that said, um, uh, Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes were were amazing as well. So yeah, it was one of those things. <laughs> word of, word of mouth. Yeah, Jerry, what are you killing me there? You're killing me, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's that's real pizza, you know. Yeah, it is, I, suggested, <laughs> I, I, I suggested pizza for dinner. I got shot down like a clay pigeon. Pizza, bitch. (laughs) There you go. 
Um, who Jersey else wants? Pizza's not bad either. <laughs> well, I can tell you what what is bad: Spanish pizza. Anyway, um, <laughs> who who else wants to chime in on uh, live at Budokan? Any takers? I mean, hard job singer and bass player. Go ahead, Johan. I mean, actually, I Sheep Trick is a band that I know almost nothing of, and they were they were big here in Sweden, uh, probably before I was uh, at any age. But now, I mean, should I listen to them? Are they good? I, th- so, I think this album is the album to listen to. If you if you want to listen to anything by them, this has, I mean, outside of Dream Police, which is the only other big song that isn't on this, this pretty much has all of their most known songs on, on it. And and much like Kiss, as my brother was describing the band, um, I I remember that, Cheap Trick were a bunch of characters as well. Not in the makeup sense like Kiss was, but Bunny Carlos had his thing going on with the cigarette, with the glasses, with, he was wearing essentially like a a business outfit. He was wearing a tie all the time, a white. Straight out of the office. Yes, straight out of the office. And and then you had Rick Nielsen with with the uh, baseball caps and with the, uh, you know, with all his guitars and you had, Robin Zander on the cover of this is wearing like some pleated trousers and some, you know, fancy shirt where, you know, if, if anything, he was going for, you know, trying to be the the good looking guy in the band and Tom Peterson had his own thing going on as well. So each member had their own succinct thing. So much like Kiss or the Beatles, I mean, they're heavily influenced by the Beatles with the harmonies and everything else. A lot of people credit them for being the first um, pop rock band because they mm-hmm. mixed so many elements of pop music with what Kiss was doing, uh, with what Aerosmith was doing, with what heavier rock bands at that time were doing. So they were a mix of both. And a lot of times you look at old festival bills back then, you would have Cheap Trick with Black Sabbath or with Kiss or with any band that was really a lot heavier than they were. They all got along and they all toured a lot together. I'm sure they toured plenty with, uh, with rush probably back then as well. Yeah. Yes, they did. But are they good? Well, yes. I saw them about three years ago, supporting Def Leppard and they, they were really good live. Mm-hmm. They're, mm-hmm. they're on for about sort of 45 minutes or so. And I, I, I'd never really listened to them before. I'd heard, you know, a few songs by them. Um, but they were they were fun live, yeah, good fun band. Yeah, unfortunately, Bunny Carlos is no longer the drummer. It's actually uh, Rick Nielsen's son Dax is the drummer in the band now, mm-hmm. but uh, he plays everything to a T like Bunny did. So it all it all stayed within the family. <laughs> you know the the irony here, and I've told this story before with you, Victor, is that the Kiss Alive Two show that I went to, uh, the warm-up act was Cheap Trick, and they got booed off the stage oh, wow. mercilessly. 
Yeah, but it's L.A. L.A. is I mean, Snobsville. So they I mean, people just were like, what the hell is this crap? And and it was just boo, boo, boo. And I mean, they yeah, they barely got out of there alive. But I do have to say this about Cheap Trick. Uh, one of my interviews with um, Nigel Glockner of uh, Saxon, he said, I asked him, I said, who was the funnest band you guys have ever toured with? And him and Paul Quinn both said Cheap Trick. Those guys were like the the most fun guys to hang out with on tour. So I, I've I gotta give them great credit for that. Awesome. All right. Let's uh move on for live at Budokan, a, a a bunch of different people did. I I I can yeah. Metal Dan did, I voted for it. Um there's there's quite a few people that did. I had it in the list, but I took it out at the last minute. See that? So there's 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 several people that voted for it. Um all right. So number three. Uh where is it? Here we go. Number three on the list. Ozzy Osbourne tribute. Ooh, wow. So here's here's another one where this got a lot of votes because obviously it ended up at three. Um, but Speak of the Devil got a lot of votes as well. It's further down the list somewhere, I believe. Um, but it's it's one of those things where Ozzy had several big um big live albums so if if we if we were you know if a lot of people voted for the same albums by the same artist they it may have even gotten higher for me as a kid the allure to this was they had talked up so much about Randy Rhodes playing on this and obviously i had seen the you know the show with Brad Gillis because MTV played it all the time and they had you know, um, talked it up. Oh, this is the original guy that did all the Aussie stuff. And by then, you know, I knew crazy train because they played it at the uh, roller rink when I was a kid. And if they didn't play it, I'd request it. And, um, and I knew little else because, because of my age, I was, I don't know. I was in seventh grade, I think when this came out and I remember buying it and going to my neighbor's house because he had a bark at the moon so we would, you know, we sat there and we examined the uh, gatefold front and back. Um, I still have it. And again, much like all the other albums that I have, um, this is scratched to hell because I don't know the, the, opening, the, the opening riff like you hear Randy's like just the first note and then it skips to like the next verse instantly. So it's, uh, and, and unfortunately the reissue of this, they cut out the entire, uh, the beginning with, uh, Carmen Barana because they didn't have the licensing for it or some shit. So they took it out and it, I mean, yeah, it still sounds cool, but it's not the same without that operatic intro. And then all of a sudden I don't know kicks in, but, um, and does anyone else want to talk about tribute? It was the heaviest at its time when it came out. I mean, it was very, very hardcore back in the day. 
Yeah. And, and I mean, if, if you think about it, if you listen to a lot of the guys from Metallica talk, they'll say that Randy's playing like is what gave them the evolution to do what they did in thrash specifically, um, uh, the song revelation, uh, mother earth, um, or, uh, yeah, revelation, my bad. Um, with the acoustic intro and the acoustic pieces and then the faster solo, which they Metallica took that. And I mean, you look at songs like master of puppets and battery and blackened and stuff like that. So there's elements of that, that they've used over the years. Definitely. So, um, anyone else want to uh, talk about tribute? Uh, it was my first Ozzy album. Okay. And I had, um, I just, I, so I was like, okay, this is a good way to get like a good part of the catalog. Right. I wasn't sure. So I got that. And so that was my actual like introduction to a lot of songs. Yeah. I'd heard crazy train. Like I'm sure all of us had, but uh, <laughs> not much else. Yeah. The, the, the other good thing too, is if you had tribute, you essentially had every live album after that as well, because it made up the bulk of every other live album that he's released since, unfortunately, but uh, you know, true. This is bread and butter. I was, I like, uh, I think it was live and loud. That was Ozzy's other, like the next live album, I think. Right. I believe so. Yeah. He's, he also has it wasn't on my list, but uh... well, all right, finger raised uh, moment here for my oh. brother. Um, so, That's three. Sp- speak of the devil tribute. Just say Ozzy, which is technically an EP. Then it was uh, true. there was Live and Loud, which was the first one with Zach. Then there's Live at Budokan, and then there's they've they've mm-hmm. done a, a few other. I believe they've done like one or two other, and then they. With the reissue of um, Lizard of Oz and Diary of a Madman, they released an Ozzy Live. Uh, the album is called Ozzy Live, which is essentially with Randy. According to Rudy Sarzo's book, they only ever recorded two shows. One became tribute and one became a like King Biscuit Flower Hour show. And that's what they essentially took and made that Ozzy Live album, which... The songs are the same as tribute, but they're not polished. So Ozzy's vocals haven't been worked over like a million times. Mm -hmm. And you hear Randy, like he's doing stuff on the guitar that he, in addition to what he does on tribute, there's like stuff in between songs and stuff like little noodlings that he does here and there. So it's cool to hear. I think apropos to to that is uh, I will say that back in the day, the allure was, Ozzy and the whole um, Black Sabbath aura or the bad boy aura, you know, the, the drinking a fifth of whiskey before going out on on, uh, on stage and just the, 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 the attitude, Ozzy's attitude. But uh, later on in life, I do find myself actually, I'll listen to it now and again, but for Randy Rhodes, like really yeah. kind of um, being more so a connoisseur of, of, of of guitar and, and, um, and not that I'm a, I, 
I'm well, appreciate it. Apart from 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 listening, not that I'm I'm a master, but you could see that you know the guy took classical guitar and and it showed this this stuff that he you know you go back to it and listen and listen to it and it's like holy cow you know I find I find that to be the case with uh, some of Eddie Van Halen's uh, earlier stuff uh, mm. from 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 back in the day. I know he you know obviously took off into the stratosphere with, with some of the more um, refined music that he put out afterwards. However, it was just the, the, uh, the, the, the clarity or the unsophisticated, sophisticated way of playing. Um, So anyway, that, that's, that, that's, that's my allure to it now. Yeah. Um, Brad, did you get a chance to see Randy live either with Ozzy or with Quiet Riot? I uh, didn't see him with Quiet Riot, but I saw him with Ozzy twice. Okay. And yeah, yeah, he's, uh, you know, he, he deserves to be the legend that he is. And uh, both great, great concerts. I'm assuming Motorhead opened for at least one of those? Yes, you are, you are correct. Uh, Ace of Spades uh, <laughs> yes. tour. Uh, the other one was, believe it or not, the Ramones. And talk about another band that got booed off the stage. I mean, people were actually going out and buying drinks just to throw at them. It was, it was <laughs> unbelievable. Well, that's, yeah. you know, as much as I love the Ramones, hatred. That's, that's a huge, you know, if you're talking about a festival, all right, I get it. But, wow, <laughs> you know, to have Ozzy and the Ramones just back to back. Yeah, yeah. Brad, did you, where did you see them at? Um, I saw, let's see, the first time I saw Ozzy was the Long Beach Sports Arena. I think that was with the Ramones. The second actually was, it was New Year's Eve at the LA Sports Arena. And now that I think about it, I, maybe I saw him three times because there was one with Motorhead. And I think the New Year's Eve one, it was just Ozzy. There was no warm up act. If I was going to say, did you see him in San Bernardino with the swing? No, I didn't see him at the, the, the swing. Oh, guy, the swing. Uh, what a tuna can. I, I, I loved going to shows there, though. I saw, Rush, I the, I saw Rush at the swing auditorium. That's a legend. <laughs> Jerry said what, that he never What year, Brad? Oh, guy, I know you're, it's um, um, Spirit of Radio. Uh, that, 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 um, yeah, I know they were playing in Long Beach the next night, and I remember the big deal was that after the show, they each had uh, their own Mercedes Benz that they drove from San Bernardino down to Long Beach uh, separately uh, for to stay there for the next show. And uh, I can't remember how I found out that fact, but there was all these people that would hang out backstage, you know, after after those shows. And um, yeah, there was a lot of talk about that. But they, yeah, that was a that's a great show. I think 38 Not So Special was the warm-up band, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> oh my gosh. And even with two drummers, they still could, couldn't even, like, half catch up to Neil Peart. Well, yeah. I still don't know why they had two drummers. We'll leave that for another show. But, but yeah, Ozzy, Ozzy with Randy, I mean, that's, that's a legendary piece of rock history right there. Yeah, so... so- Jerry's saying in the chat here, he never saw Randy live. He flew into the bus before he had made it to Long Island. So Jerry was was supposed to see the show, I'm assuming, and just 
due to that, didn't, didn't get to see them. Um, it would have been interesting to see them also right after that tour. There was what a week, 10 days where he played with Bernie Torme and then Gillis mm-hmm. came in and, you know, so that's, that's another one of similar to like your stories, Brad, for people that have seen him, you know, during, during one of those dates, that's, that's like a, uh, a badge of honor. I got to see Ozzy with, uh, with Bernie. Mel, or, or, Mel Torme. <laughs> yeah. Not Mel. Did I say Mel? No, I did. Oh, okay. Awesome. I was just saying that would be really something to see. <laughs> well, Absolutely. <laughs> in any event, moving on to number two. This was also number one for, for quite some time. But you want the drum roll? Is that, is that what you're uh, looking for there? Yeah. Kiss Alive is number two. This was much like what you guys were mentioning before with Budokan being the album that made Cheap Trick. Alive is the album that made Kiss. Um, I have Alive as well, but unlike Alive 2, this isn't one of the early printings. So it doesn't have like all the doodads that, that came with the original. Uh, like the original had a, a book and it, and I forget what else it had, but um, you know, when you, when you start to become a, uh, a, a vinyl connoisseur or you run into people that are bigger kiss nerds than, than you are, you find all this stuff out. So I thought it was an original copy for years, but apparently not. It's like a, a fifth or sixth generation uh, <laughs> vinyl actually. So um, Victor would go to the stores to buy vinyl with like 40 pounds worth of coins. <laughs> remember you went to buy, I, I don't remember what album it was. Um, and you actually, the, 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 the girl at the store actually told you, please don't come back with all the coins. Well, to buy. You, you, you went in with quarters, nickels, dimes, and, and all, it was like $7 worth of, worth of coins. And I believe it may, have, it may have been Kiss Alive. I don't remember. That's why I'm bringing it up. Well, that's how hardcore Victor was into music. Well, if anybody I'm, doubts it. I'm, I'm sure that I told her the, the same thing that I would say today is it's still money, isn't it? So uh probably yeah you had you had a you had a quick tongue on you yeah yeah so did you carry it in a sock no but I could it could have been a Ziploc bag that, that was that my brother's thing. deny a Ziploc okay. bag could have been possible yeah we didn't have regular <laughs> plastic bags bag. my brother was a sock person oh well yeah that's that, that, that might be that, quote of the day. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that's a conversation for a different show. That's, uh, <laughs> I'm tweeting that out right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's uh, the 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 sorry, the, Chris. <laughs> cart the cardboard sock will be a discussion for a different show, folks. Um, anyway, alive <laughs> um, cardboard sock. Not gonna, not gonna mention the logistics of that one to you, Steve. <laughs> uh, anyway, you know, I'm, uh, getting, 
I'm going to type it in Google. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get a lot of interesting imagery. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, so, yeah, who who wants to talk about a live? Who's, who's uh, Brad, this ranked pretty high for you. Yeah, I mean, it's, geez, that, that uh, holy crap. Again, that, that was the first Kiss album that I bought with my money. I'd had the other three because I'd borrowed them from other people, and I don't think they ever got them back. Uh, but I, I bought that one. The first time I saw Kiss was on that tour, and it was just, yeah. It, I mean, it, I already talked about the huge influence, and the huge influence on me. Gene Simmons influenced my bass playing more than anybody else. And, um, and, and that's with it before I even saw him just, you know, just playing along with these records and uh, just what I imagined it would be like. And believe it or not, I was scarily close. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's legendary. I think we, yeah, yeah I think we kind of kissed this one. Yeah. Yeah. They, well, and to Gene's credit, he, again, much like what I said about uh, Peter Chris, Gene was a monster on bass early on. I mean, you really listened to his bass playing on those first few albums when he was still playing on them. Yep. He was hugely influenced by Motown. He was hugely influenced by um, Carol Kay, is her name? The, she yep. was in Re The Wrecking Crew? Yeah, Paul McCartney. Yeah. Where... He does a lot of walking um, that you yep. don't even realize it. I mean, that's that's that was his thing, and uh, nobody else in rock uh, was really doing that. I mean, certainly blues, yeah, but I mean, he wasn't doing it like a blues person. Um, right, his bass playing very unique, and just the the slides on the neck. That's uh, that's one thing I I still you know do without even thinking about because it's just in my DNA. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I think I told the story, the first band I was in, the guys wanted me to be in the band. And I said, there's only one way I'll be in your band. And that is if we play Deuce and you let me sing it. And they said, <laughs> yeah. So there you go. That, that's, that's how hardcore I was about Kiss at that time. Awesome. Uh, Dan, you were shaking Oddly enough. When I sing, they say it's a Deuce. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they 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 said we'll let you do it so long as you playing and singing it isn't like dropping one. Um, now the the walking baseline. <laughs> yeah. You know, here's what's really funny is back then, um, you know, we Shelley and I were talking about this last night. The the fact that lyrics weren't greatly published in albums back then like they are yeah. now, and so yeah, back then in a band you had to try to figure out what the what the band was singing. And it's hilarious how far off we were on so many things. And yet Deuce, I, I, yeah, not even close. And who, who knew what he was saying most of the time? It was, it was brilliantly hilarious. Yeah. Dan, you were saying about the walking bass. Yeah. I mean, that's a good comment to make, to listen to the live stuff and just Gene's playing the way he, I focus on that of what he's doing. They don't give him enough credit for what he's doing on bass. Yeah. Yeah, there is a video with him and Carol Kay, and, and he says, oh, I want you to show me how you played this song. And she said, are you kidding me? You can play this. And he goes, no, I'm not that good of a bass player. 
And um, he never takes credit for it. There's um, uh, Aaron. I forget Aaron's last name. He's on uh, um, Radioactive Metal is the podcast that he's on. And he met Gene at a NAM convention or something similar. And he went up to him and he said, Gene, can I shake your hand? You're my biggest influence. And you're the reason why I picked up playing bass. And Gene said to him, I'm sorry to hear that. There's a million other people that are way better than I am. So he's always been very humble with his playing for everything that Gene gets shit about for being braggadocious and everything else. He's really when when you have like normal conversations with him, he's he's generally very humble with a lot of the stuff that he says. Um, Yeah, he takes credit for a lot of things he does, business and whatever. But he's a bass player. and. He should just be proud of that alone of how good he is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, they, I mean, all those guys could play back in the day. They all were really, really good and they got no credit for it. And even Paul Stanley, he he was a great guitar player. He's a great rhythm guitar player. He played, you know, some little lead pieces here and there. But even when he's out there jumping around like crazy, he was still playing the parts. I mean, what, you know, when you saw them live, they sounded unbelievably great. Yeah. Songs like Rock Bottom and stuff like that, the the intros to those songs and the chord progressions and stuff, a lot of people pan it off to say, oh, it's just easy. No, try to play the songs like they were originally written, not how yeah. you think they sound. Those are two completely different things. Yeah. Um, Steve, True. you keep trying to get a, a word in. Go ahead. Um, it was going back to the Dean being humble about uh, when people met him and said, oh, you're a big influence. I right. met Dave Mustaine once and I was like, oh, you're a big influence on me. He's like, I hope you don't suck. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That, that's, uh, that's, that's Dave being humble for you. Um, yes. <laughs> Dave 312. There you go. Um, yeah, Dave, Dave 312 is, I am no longer hooked on anything yet. I smoke a bong every day. Anyway, um, that's a supplement. It's not, yes, a, not a it's a, it's an herbal supplement. There you go. All right. Well, let's um, see, let's see if Megadeth's album number one. There you go. Well, anyone else want to talk about a live before we get to number one? All right. Here we go. Number I believe one. Jerry's calling calling it. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. Live after death. Absolutely. Jerry probably has the original copy. I got before vinyl started being the thing again. I got a uh it was only being printed in Japan for a long time. So I actually have a Japanese copy that I got off of eBay like 15 years ago, but just an, just an amazing album. Um, let's see if I can play this without uh, getting demonetized this week. But uh, <laughs> I, I will always remember hearing this for the first time because we were going on a, um, on a trip. I was freshly off the plane here in Spain. We were going on a hiking trip for the weekend. There's, 
uh, hullabaloo around that. And this little kid comes up to me and says, hey, you speak English, don't you? Yeah, I just got off the plane, just came from the States. Okay. Uh, can you translate what the singer's saying here? And the moral of this story is this is what not to do if your bird shits on you. So, so yes, I had to tell this like eight-year-old. Uh, yeah, so he's saying, and the moral of this story is what not to do when a bird shits on you. Um, as well as explain um, uh, before revelations, <laughs> ironing curtains or something like that. So. Uh, I had to explain to this kid, well, they don't always make sense when they say shit between songs. It's just just trying to get people in the mood. So Iron Maiden, live after death. I'm going to say something about Bruce, okay? Go ahead. Is that none of that stuff was, you know, the same shtick. You know what I mean? It's not like he said that every night. Like, there's plenty of guys who do that. Every night is the same introduction. Every night it says, Bruce is 100% off the cuff. And he's, you know, if you get him on a rare night where he's really on one, he's incredible. Well, on the VHS copy, DVD copy, he goes on and talks about the fact that um, uh, that the original uh, poem written by Samuel Coldridge was about um, Queen Mary and about... uh, he wrote it to her and she read it on the toilet in secret while she was having menstrual cramps or, or something along those lines. I mean, the story is completely different to this is what not to do when a bird shits on you. Um, so, you know, and, and in between, yeah, the, the, the banter is completely different. Um, I always found it amazing that Steve Harris would say, I don't like this album because we played the songs too fast. But that's kind of again, kind of the 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 allure to the album. There's a special feeling to it that makes it sound live, as opposed to some of the um, other stuff that not only Maiden has put out, but other bands have released. Um, to me, this is hugely important. It was the first live album outside of Kiss that meant anything to me. So, I mean, it was a chance meeting of this kid on a bus playing a, you know, copy that he had and me coming back from that trip and buying Live After Death and Peace of Mind the following day in, in a record shop here in Spain. Um, so to me, it's it's a hugely important album. And, you know, to, to just hear the crowd, hear how they were playing the songs. And yeah, it's it's two different shows and they've never lied about it. Well, actually... Sides one through three are, are taken from five separate shows at Long Beach Arena. And then side four is from the Hammersmith Odeon in, uh, in London. Um, but uh, Jerry, since you're holding it up, your thoughts on Live After Death? So you got to see the new period. You got to see them on oh, this yeah. tour. There you go. Is that the awesome. year of the riots? There were riot years at the Coliseum. <laughs> well, there were, here, here in New York, New York slash New Jersey, awesome. uh, I, wow. I think it was the Madison Square Garden show where, um, and I no, guess some of the riots. 
when when they were knocking the the the, the police the police off their horses and trying to take the horses down themselves. That's how interesting the show it was. Yeah, for this for this tour though, as as Jerry was saying, they played Radio City. It says that they in that in the yeah, that's on the inside. They they did like five nights at Radio City. It was the only two shows they the only two places they did five dates on that tour was Radio City and Long Beach Arena, which is where this comes from. So I always wondered, you know, did they record the New York shows just in case, you know, and then decide that they were going with Long Beach instead? Obviously, Long Beach Arena is probably bigger because Radio City holds, I think. 10,000 people radio city isn't that big you know no. it's it, it's smaller than the garden and the garden for a show is like 15,000 i think at the most i felt i felt so sorry for for, for bruce for his hearing problems after long beach uh, shows yeah long beach fucked up his hearing for good <laughs> there you go um jeremy the importance of this album in the uk yeah, uh, well, all Maiden albums were really important in the UK. And, um, you know, just to have Iron Maiden on, on a live album was really, really exciting at the time. Uh, you, I, I picked up on what you were saying about um, them saying it was uh, very fast. They, they're playing the, the, the songs fast. That, that doesn't surprise me because a long time back in their history, they played on Top of the Pops in the UK, which is... Um, you know, sort of a, a Thursday night program where we we'd hear bands play, and I made them one of the only bands that ever played live on that. And they played Twilight Zone on there, which was very fast. Or, or was it Rathchild? I think it was Rathchild. It was a double A side anyway. I think at the time the the two songs, um, and they played the song really fast. And I remember at the time thinking that they'd rush through it. Um, so you know, fast forward, and and they're doing it on this on this album. But I mean, it's a great collection of all their you know of of their great songs, and it it reminds you of um, you know why I am Maiden are such a big band because if if you think about it, I am Maiden are probably one of the biggest bands, aren't they? Which we we would all agree on as being right. so important for metal. Um, and there's a reason for it, you know, they they play great live and and that's the essence of iron maiden that they are a live band and they, they toured for so long you know they were playing um month after month live and ho honing their show yeah. dan is showing us what is that the final frontier the, the poster have uh i started collecting um looks like an oh three i knew about the posters before that and i stupidly have thrown some away previous but um i have them all around my room <laughs> awesome. so when i go to the the next show i must get the concert poster or i have failed so yes i have awesome. many around here and i have that power slave i had that live and i threw it away back in the day yeah what, the, what was well, i thinking yeah i had the uh remember the old iron maiden black light posters that were like uh felt or velvet or whatever that was i had the number of the beast cover like that and same deal i threw it away i'm like ah you know you would see that at the store all the time <laughs> my brother had that and the mind i believe oh wow the black light poster yeah 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 because yeah. they uh, i only remember seeing the first few albums that sounds about right um 
Who else wants to discuss uh, Live After Death? Number one pick, uh, Twisted Sister opened those shows for Long Beach. I didn't, I was young. That was like my second or third concert, real big concert ever. And Warrior opened the show for me where I saw them in San Bernardino, which wasn't the swing because the swing had gotten hit by a plane and it became something else. And Brad knows about that. See, he's laughing. So I was at that dump and it was hot and sweaty, but God, I miss hot and sweaty concerts now and stinking and pee and beer and all that, you know, but I was right up there too. It was packed and I was probably 15 rows off the kids, 15 years old or whatever, and just going for it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We, we need to talk about warriors sometime. Obviously this isn't the place, but we need to talk about that. Oh, you, you mean that band that uh, Vinnie Vincent had with the guys from? No, uh, no, 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 no. That was the fake warrior. The, the yeah. I know Joe Floyd. Yeah. Next, yep, next, Floyd. next time you get now Bandian on, we can talk warrior. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. He he's well. Joe Floyd worked on uh, a lot of those Inside Metal DVDs. So yeah, he knows a great deal about them. Um, fake warrior Renade. That one's just you back there. Yes. That's a uh, wrestling reference. Um, so, yeah. Any, any surprise to you guys that Live After Death is the number one album? No. no. Not a surprise. No, they, were, they were so good on that tour. That's the, the first time I saw them with Bruce. And, um, yeah, it was, it was an un, unbelievable show. Uh, it was just, yeah, you, you, at the time you're like, nothing's better than this. Yeah. And I know I, I made the singer from my band go and uh, Johan will, will kind of appreciate this because he's certainly not a Bruce Dickinson, but uh, at, oh, what happened there? Are we no, still there? Yeah. You're okay. still here. Yeah. CEO Dave's kicked me out of the picture there. Um, but anyway, the singer in my band, he, he was just like, like, holy crap. Says, I wish I could be. I wish I could command an audience like Bruce Dickinson. He says, just watching him and the way it's like, man, when he gets up there in front of the stage, everybody's in. It's like, if he told people to do whatever they would do it. And he was just, uh, yeah. I, I mean, he, he was the ultimate front man at that time. Nobody was better than him. And what was it like for you seeing them with Deanno and then jumping over to Bruce? I mean, instantly um, did you, Huge difference. I mean, they were, they were, of course, when I saw him with Deano, that was at the Long Beach Sports Arena warming up for UFO, uh, post Shanker UFO. They were on the No Place to Run um, tour. And that was their first headlining show in LA, uh, LA area. But uh, I mean, they were really, really good, but they didn't have that personality. You know what I mean? Deano was not a big front man, he just stood there and sang. And I mean, he did it well and the band played really well, but it just, it, Bruce took him to a whole new level. Mm. Yeah. I remember seeing that top of the pops footage on one of their VC, uh, VC, yeah. VHS tapes, excuse me. And uh, every time that Deano singing a line in running free, he's just moving his head. That's the only thing he's doing. Mm. So, um, <clears throat> for me, it's, uh, as a kid, 14 or 15, whatever I was uh, when it was released, it was 
the most beautiful record ever made with a cover and the gatefold and the booklet. It was uh, magic. But for me, uh, the live feeling was better with Scorpions Worldwide Live was released a couple of months earlier. Right. Uh, but two 10 out of 10 records, absolutely. Uh, and it's, you shouldn't compare these two. They, they are both, you know, top of the line. So, uh, you know, Rush released a record called uh, Rush in Rio. Uh, have you ever heard it? So if you have not, so try Rush in Rio. It's a good uh, gateway into Rush. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Bye bye. <laughs> yeah, Jerry is saying that the uh, the DVD is awesome for it is. Uh, for for live after death here. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, funny thing is, I don't know if all these years later people are aware of this, but when it was um, first released, um, in the states on on CD, they didn't have side four. So the, the, the show from the Hammersmith Odeon wasn't included. And I believe it's run to, no, it's running free, which is where um, Bruce does the Long Beach fucked up my hearing routine. Uh, all that is cut out. It's just, it gets up to that point where he's about to do all the chanting part. And that's all it's, all edited out and it's just the end of the song. I remember getting the CD being so excited to get it. And all of a sudden being just so pissed off realizing that I didn't have, you know, that side four and didn't have, you know, the full running free. And I remember I was hoping I'm like, Oh, you know, they, they couldn't have cut that side four out. It, it had to be, um, they have to be hidden tracks on here. Nope. No hidden tracks. It was, they were gone. They weren't there. And then when they reissued it, it finally, you know, I had to get it out. I had to get the reissue on CD because it had, you know, side four. So, um, let's see. So you guys are chatting back and forth here. Um, how many denim, le- how many denim jackets with Eddie on the back? Uh, a whole ton. Jerry saying that zero for him, but 37 Eddie t-shirts. There you go. Johan is saying that 90% of everyone in Sweden has a Eddie on a denim jacket. So, uh, you know, you go to festivals here in Europe, there's always an Iron Maiden presence. I mean, they have to be the, the band that has the most amount of merch being sported by, by people at shows. I mean, so, yeah, and uh, there you go. Jerry's showing us all the various Iron Maiden paraphernalia he has. I saw a number of the Beast. I saw a, um, and he's got the Trooper flag, which he's been in front of the whole time. So, yeah, there's there's no mistaking that uh, Jerry's a big fan of Maiden as well. I mean, he's, he's obviously been one of the people that have been... Um, um, flying the flag throughout the shows, and we've talked about the recent few albums as well. So, um, 
that just about does it here. I do want to thank Metal Dan. I want to thank Jeremy. I want to thank Johan. I want to thank uh, Brad with Molly the Metal Dog there. Um, <laughs> Steve Hoker, who was uh, in the black the whole time. He's none blackest than Steve tonight. Um, Jose and Jerry and my brother who somehow is in the chat but is not on screen. I don't know why. But I want to thank all you guys for being here tonight. I want to thank the other patrons that um, were not here tonight. Um, Anthony Mackey, Ed Ferguson, let's see, Chris Vaglio, Mike Jones, and Steven Saylor. Thank all you guys, too, for all your support and for submitting your lists. And uh, thank you, anyone who's watching this. Uh, live who's been watching it live. I know Rob Rowe has been in the chat. Thank you, Rob, for, for hanging out with us tonight. And thanks to anyone who watches this or, or listens to the uh, podcast version. It's been a blast as usual with you guys. And next month we will be back with a, uh, a band discussion. We have to vote on what band we're going to talk about next month. I don't, I don't know. What band does Johan want to talk about? Maybe the choir boys or something like that. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's about time for Rush now, isn't it? <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Come on, boys. I second. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. I'm in. I Rush. mean, yeah, because Rush isn't that big a band in Sweden, but I know in America and UK, they are huge. So I would really, really like to hear what you think about them. Mm. But in Johan's in in Johan's household, there is no band bigger than Rush, correct? Correct. <laughs> See, so that's all that matters. If you ask me, yeah, correct. Yeah, but if you ask my son, he's more into Cannibal Corpse and I'm on a Marth and yeah, wow. yeah. There you go. Awesome. Well. Thanks everyone for, for being here tonight and thanks everyone for watching and listening. We will see you next time right here on the Signals from Mars live stream. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 